I was meditating, thinking upon this passage of Scripture today, <clears throat> and uh, then it came to mind, I thought I preached on this not too long ago. And so I looked back, keep record of, you know, when I preached what and so on and so forth, and I did preach it back in March, right after the coronavirus lockdown hit. And so, we're looking at it again tonight, but what I want to look at tonight in particular, uh, I titled that message, Dwelling in the Secret Place, but tonight I'm going to look at the I wills of the Almighty, particularly verses 14 through 16. I'm going to look at a few things from the preceding verses, the first part of the chapter, but what I really want to look at tonight and emphasize is verses 14 through 16, and those are the I wills, things that God said, I will do. Um, so let's read this. We'll read the entire Psalm. Psalm 91, he that dwelleth in the secret place of the most high shall abide under the shadow of the almighty. I will say of the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress. My God in him will I trust. Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. He shall cover thee with his feathers and under his wings shalt thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid for the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come nigh thee. Only with thine eyes shalt behold and see the reward of the wicked, because thou hast made the Lord which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion and adder. The young lion and the dragon shalt thou trample under feet. Because, now the Lord starts to seek, because he hath set his love upon me, Therefore, and here's the I wills, I will deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him and will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. So tonight again, the I wills of the Almighty. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your precious word and thank you for that we can have assurance that it is forever settled in heaven, preserved for us, even down to our day and time. For you said heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. So we thank you for that promise that you've given us, that we can have assurance and certainty that thy word is truth. I pray that you would encourage and challenge us tonight with these truths and that uh, you and, and of your promises to us, which are to us, Lord, who believe. Uh, so we just pray you be glorified. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I'm just going to rehearse a little bit. Uh, of course, we're talking about dwelling in the secret place that speaks of abiding the secret place speaks of a sheltering place, a hiding place, a place of protection. And the Almighty, he says the Almighty God is that secret place. 
The first time that the word Almighty is used in reference to God was in Genesis 17.1. The Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be thou perfect. It's in that passage that he promised him, again, a son. The word Almighty is the word Shaddai. Hebrew word Shaddai means breasted one, nourisher, strength giver, satisfier, or who pours himself out into the lives of believing ones. And that's what we see here in this passage as well. And so he is the, the, the secret place, and he, he is the protector of his own. We talked a little bit about this, and we looked at this, about how the Lord... Uh, hides us in his secret place. It implies, again, in a, a hidden place. Uh, you know, we think about some secrets, places that God hid people in broad daylight. He hid Moses in an ark of bulrushes in the river so that he was not slain being a man-child born in Egypt of an Israelite. And so he was hidden in the Ark of Bulrushes, found by the princess of Egypt, who then asked his sister to have his mother nourish him and nurse him until he is old enough to come live with her, and which he did. You know, Jonathan told David when David was fleeing for Saul, don't be afraid, the hand of my father Saul shall not find thee. You know, David, David wasn't hidden in places where nobody knew he was. In fact, there was at one point that it appeared that David was going to be captured because he was on one side of the mountain and Saul's men were on the other side and they were about to close him in. But Saul all of a sudden gets word, the Philistines have invaded the land. Huh. I wonder who sent the Philistines. The Bible tells us in the, in the, in the, during the earthly ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 7 verse 30 says they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him because his hour was not yet come. In verse 44 it says, and some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. In John chapter 8 verse 20, these words spake Jesus in the treasury as he taught the temple, and no man laid hands on him for his hour was not yet come. In John chapter 8 verses 58 and 59, Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. And they took up stones to cast him, but he hid himself. And went out of the temple, going through the midst of them. You know, he's hidden, but he's going through the midst of them. And it says, and so passed by. You know, sometimes God can get blinders on his enemies. I remember years ago, my father-in-law's church, we had a man come through who was part of a ministry where they smuggled Bibles in behind the Iron Curtain before the Iron Curtain came down around Berlin. And he said, it's a word game. And he said, what you do is you pray and really pray and ask the Lord. He said, we spend some days in preparation praying and ask the Lord to blind the eyes of the guards. He said, they know. They know what we're doing. And sometimes he said, we, we kind of hide them in obvious places where they would not think to look. He said, we, we, what we do, we ask God to blind the eyes. And so they would take Bibles and gospel literature in. 
You see, this is the secret place. And God says, He that dwelleth in the secret place shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. He is a protector of His own. It is a place of refuge. It's a fortress, a strong place of defense. It's a shield and a buckler. All these things refer to places or things of protection that will protect us from the enemy. And, and of course, you know, uh, as we think about this, some people believe it was Mo- Moses wrote this. It's, it's most commentators believe Moses wrote this psalm. And many believe that he wrote it concerning Joshua and Caleb. And that these promises were particularly to Joshua and Caleb. It is fitting. After all, uh, the Lord spake of Joshua in uh, Exodus 33.11. says, The Lord spake unto Moses face to face as a man speaketh unto his friends. And he turned again into the camp, but his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, departed not out of the tabernacle. Joshua was a man who would be described as dwelling in the secret place. Abiding in the tabernacle of God. In other words, dwelling with God. And of course, we know that of, of uh, Caleb and Joshua, both of them it said in Numbers 32.12, that they wholly followed the Lord. And in our passage here in verse 14, it says, because he has set his love upon me. That speaks of devotion. They were devoted to. They were... They, it's like a, you know, the same kind of wording that we would say a husband is to cleave to his wife. No, in other words, be devoted to, like stuck together. It's kind of the idea. They were devoted to God. And it's to them that God promises these things, this deliverance. You know, they would see and look at judgment. They'd see it with their eyes. Verse 8. Only with thine eyes shalt thou see shalt thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. So they, they'd see all these things that would come upon. You know, think about it. In the, in the, in the, in the uh, wilderness journey, the, Joshua and Caleb's observed all the plagues that children of Israel brought upon themselves. And yet, they didn't participate in them. In other words, it didn't affect them. Well, it did affect them. But they never were part of the plagues. You know, it affected them, just like this pestilence we're in. It's pestilence. It's pandemic. You know, you may not have gotten COVID-19. But if you think about it, it has affected you. It's affected every one of us. Even if you don't, if you haven't gotten it. It's affected us. See, what other people do does affect you many times. And so, they, they were affected by all these things, and yet they did not experience them themselves. They were not plagued as these other men were. You know, and, and bit with fiery serpents, or committed whoredom with the daughter of Moab, and then died as a result of it. They, they, they saw it all, but only with their eyes. They were like spectators, just watching it. Although I can't imagine them just watching, and I, I'm sure they pleaded with the people, you know, and warned them. You see, they were protected from this destruction. Verse 9 says, Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. You know, they're, they're, they were not touched. Their families were not affected. 
directly by these plagues and this rebellion, which was a result of rebellion against God. Because His truth was their shield and buckler. You know, they, they endured the hardships. It took them 40 years to get to the, na- the land of Canaan just like the rest of them. They were protected from the destruction within. We notice that in verses 11 and 12. For he shall give his angels charge over to keep thee, to keep thee in all thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest thou dash thy foot against a stone. And, you know, I, I liken this unto, you know, dashing your foot against a stone is something you do to yourself. You know, sometimes there's things done to us by other people, but many times the things that happen to us we do of our own choosing. You know, maybe you aren't watching where you're going and you stub your toe on a doorstep or, or you know, a threshold or something, or, or there's something on the floor and you step on it in your bare feet. Maybe it's sharp. Why? Because you're not watching where you're going. It's, it's what you do of your own doing. And the Bible says here that, that he shall keep thee in all thy ways. He shall bear thee up lest thou dash thy foot, lest you kick the stone, and stub your own toe, you know. Or you're reckless and you wreck your car because you're reckless. You know, it's things that we do to ourselves. It's kind of the idea here. Uh, you know, again, Joshua and Caleb suffered with the wicked and they saw sin and death all around them constantly, people dying every day and every week. But it didn't happen to them. Now, they could have become angry or disgruntled because, after all, they could have been in Canaan land enjoying the land of milk and honey. And here we are in this wilderness. But see, what these men had learned was they were content wherever God had them. I mean, Caleb could have been in Hebron eating pork or lamb chops. And here he is in the wilderness still eating manna. Day after day after day. Boy, their eyes, and you know, the, the, and this is again a promise to them because their eyes and their faith was fixed on the Lord. They were not deterred by what others did or did not do. They had set their love upon me, verse 14 says. And so because they had set their love upon him, again, this, 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 Actually, the phrase there in verse 14, because he has set his love, is all one word in the Hebrew. And again, it means to cleave or to be attached to. And as I mentioned, you know, it was said of Joshua and Caleb, they wholly followed the Lord of God. In other words, they set themselves to love the Lord their God with all their heart, with all their soul, and of all their mind. And, and the Lord here says, because, of this, because they have cleaved or they devoted themselves, I will. I will deliver him. Now the word deliver is used two times, but it's a little different. It's a different, actually it's a different Hebrew word. But he says here, first of all, I will deliver him. I, or the, and again, it means to cause to escape. That's the first word deliver. To cause to escape. You know, they escaped. Again, they escaped all the judgments of God upon the people because of their sin and rebellion. You know, those that rebelled and sinned against the Lord, God judged. He judged 
Korah, Datham, and Abiram, the earth opened up and swallowed them alive. And they went down into the pit. You know, those that committed sin with Moab, he judged. Those that worshipped the golden calf and made the calf worth dancing and made themselves naked, Moses said, who is on the Lord's side? The Levites joined themselves to him. And then he said, gird on your sword and go in and out of the camp and slay every man his brother. In other words, those that have been guilty of immorality in this false worship, kill them. Judge them. You see, there was, there was much judgment on those who had rebelled against God. But Caleb and Joshua escaped it. You know, it's kind of a picture of, you know, the God's going to judge this world for their rebellion against God. But we're, we that know the Lord are going to escape it. God has not appointed us to wrath. God has not appointed His own children to wrath, to, to have His wrath poured out on them, but to obtain salvation. That word salvation means deliverance, to escape it. We're going to escape when God starts to pour out His wrath upon this unbelieving, wicked world. And I believe that time's coming very soon. He says, Revelation, come up hither. He said, we're going to obtain salvation. We're going to be delivered from that. And so he says, because he has set his love upon him, therefore will I deliver him. He also says, not only will I deliver him, I will set him on high. And again, these are word pictures, you might say, of the things that God does for His own people. He says, I will set them on high, verse 14. The words to set them on high means to protect, or it can mean to make powerful. To make powerful. In Isaiah 40, and verses 29 through 31, Isaiah 40, verse 29 It says, He giveth power to the faint. To them that have no might, He increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fail, fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. See, God giveth power to the faint. You know, David was a poor man. His family was poor in Israel. And yet God set him up on high. He set him up on high. He gave him, he set him up as a king, and he gave him power. He gave him power. He made him powerful. Job 5.11 says, To set up on high those that be low, that those which may which mourn may be exalted to safety. Again, the idea of protection or make powerful. Psalm 107.41 Yet he setteth the poor on high. Again, the idea of protect or make powerful. He setteth the poor on high from affliction and maketh him families like a flock. Proverbs 18.10 The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it and is safe. And that safe, the word safe there is the same word as set on high here in Psalm 91. Safe. Protected. You know, sometimes protection comes from 
we have power against the enemy and they won't do anything about it. Ronald Reagan often said, the way to have peace is through strength. If you have a strong defense, that's the best way to keep the peace there is in the world. Because nobody's going to mess with you. you know, we've had a series of presidents, past presidents, that seemed to think that we could flatter our enemies and, 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 and desecrate our military and have peace in this world. Well, it hasn't worked. Our enemies grew strong. They defied us. They mocked us. Until we got a new sheriff in town. Now they fear us again. They fear us. You see, and that's what God does. He makes strong his own. He puts the fear of God in the enemy. He protects. Psalm, or Proverbs 29, 25, The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth in the trust of the Lord shall be, again, there's that word safe, and it's the same word that's translated on high here. The idea here is you're not accessible to feet because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, God called Jeremiah and he said, I've anointed thee to be a prophet from the womb. And Jeremiah says, oh Lord, I'm just a child. I'm just a child. He was afraid. And rightly so. You know, he was a normal human being. He's a, he was afraid. And the Lord said, I have set thee as a brazen wall. They shall fight against thee, but they shall not prevail. Why? Because I've set you on high. I've set you on high. You know, if we go outside the will of God, if we reject the truth like children of Israel did, if we reject the counsel of the man of God like children of Israel did, we're susceptible to defeat. We're setting ourselves up for defeat. We're pulling ourselves out from behind the protection that God has given us. Because God said, I will set him on high. I will. Third thing he said here, third I will was, I will answer him. If you notice in verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. Psalm 25 and verses 12 through 14, some of my favorite verses, says, what, is, what man is he that feareth the Lord? The word fear has the idea of reverence, to revere, to defer to. In other words, you, you give place to him, you, you follow his, his leading. And then it says, him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease, his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him, and he will show them his covenant. You see, a person who has set his love upon God, God will show him his will. See, God revealed his will to the disciples. Now, they were a little slow in accepting it. They had a little hard time accepting God's will. What the Lord Jesus said was going to happen to him, they had a hard time accepting that. But the more truth they accepted, the more truth they understood. 
And that's the way it is in the Christian life. But the Pharisees who should have known cut themselves off from the truth. Why? Because they were not willing to accept it. They had their own agenda. And their own agenda was contrary to what the Lord's agenda was. Their agenda was, we're going to go through Rome. And the Lord's going to set up a kingdom right now. What they didn't understand was, God's kingdom to be set up on earth was not, it was not the right timing. Now, he is eventually going to set up his kingdom on earth. But he didn't come the first time to set up a kingdom. He came the first time to die for the sins of mankind. To be a sacrifice for sin. See, God, God will answer. God will show himself, reveal himself clearly to those that are devoted to him. Joshua and Caleb understood. They clearly believed that God, because God had revealed himself to them, they were determined to obey the word of God contrary to human reasoning or what anybody else said. They said, let's go up at once and possess the land for the Lord hath given it to us. Now what basis, on what basis did they say that? Because Caleb was a mighty man. I mean, he was a powerful man. Really? No, that wasn't the basis. The basis was God had promised them that land. God had commanded them to go in and possess it. Proverbs, some of the saddest verses in the Bible are in Proverbs chapter 1, where it says, Because I have called, verse 24, and ye have refused. I have stretched up my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set it not all my counsel with none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh. And so on. Chapter 2, verse 1. My son, if thou wilt receive my words and hide thy commandments with thee, so thou incline thine ear. Here's, here's the picture of those that are devoted to the Lord. Incline thine ear unto wisdom to apply thine heart to understanding. If thou criest after knowledge and liftest up thy voice for understanding, if thou seekest her as, ser- as silver and search of her as for hid treasure, then shalt thou understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now I'm sure if you ask Caleb, okay Caleb, I want you to give me a plan of how you expect to drive out those Anakins in Hebron. I'm sure Caleb probably wouldn't be able to sit down and say, you know, I know they're bigger than us. So we've got to come up with a scheme to trick them so that we can overcome them. No, no. He just said, if the Lord be with us, we shall be able. If the Lord be with us, we shall be able. Now, He was trusting the Lord to give them the victory, but he was also trusting the Lord to lead him when the time came as to how to go about it. You know, before David went out to battle, you know, one of the things David would do, he would seek the Lord. And sometimes the Lord would say, go into battle, and he just goes plunging straight into battle. Another time he said, you go behind by the mulberry trees, and when you hear the rustling in the leaves, then you attack. What was he doing? He was seeking the mind of God. He wasn't trusting in his own reasoning. 
You know, we would call that an ambush, but guess who directed the ambush? God did. God did. See, we need, to, we need to seek the mind of the Lord. And God reveals Himself to us clearly in His Word. But we have to be willing to receive it. We don't know God's will because we fast and pray. You know, nothing wrong with fasting and praying. Fasting and praying is a good thing. And seeking the mind of the Lord. But in the model prayer that the Lord gave to His disciples, He said that we're to pray His will be done. He didn't say that we need to pray to figure out how or what His will is. Sometimes prayer is an excuse for just not doing what the will of God is, what we know to be right. You know, Israel didn't need to fast and pray about should we go in and possess the land? No, God already said go in. He said go in. They really didn't need spies to go in and experience the land. You know, I heard, I've heard people say, that, well, you know, sometimes people just need to experience a little bit of the world so they know. So you need to dabble in sin so you know what it's like to know that it's sinful? No, you don't. You know, I don't have to, I don't have to drink to know that alcohol makes you drunk. You don't have to do that. All you've got to do is read the Bible and then look at the world and see how the Bible bears the truth. It's true. I don't have to experience it to know it. No, we just need to do it. He said, I will answer him. I will show him the truth. We can be assured of the truth simply by the word of God. He said also, I will be with him in trouble. Verse 15, he shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. The word trouble is, is, uh, it can mean distress, affliction. It could be an adversary. It's anything that causes you problems. You know, it could be body afflictions. You know, in this world, we have bodily afflictions. We are in a body that gets sick, that, that's susceptible to diseases. It's, it's susceptible to, to aging and, 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 you know, all these things. Uh, viruses and all these things that the body is susceptible to and causes us afflictions. There's distress in the world that can, can cause us, uh, 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 sorrow or heartache or discouragement. You know, you, you look out in the world, like last Thursday night I was talking about, you know, reasons to be discouraged or distressed. I mean, if you look at the world scene, boy, it's distressing. But we have a God. But you look at other things in the world, you know, I don't know how many of you watched any of the speeches from the RNC convention, Republican convention. You ought to watch them. You ought to listen to them. I listened to some of them. They were encouraging. You know, this race isn't about politics. It's clear choices. What is right and what is wrong. Biblically. Many of them quoted Bible. Something you haven't heard in quite a long time. But see, we have these problems in the world. We have adversaries. We have an enemy that's opposed to us. You know, Joshua and Caleb had enemies. They wanted to stone them. When Caleb said, let's go up at once, for the Lord hath given it into our hand, they wanted to stone him. 
Silence him. You know, there are some that want to silence us. They want to silence us. But God gave us, has given us a promise. I will be with him in trouble. In Isaiah 43, in verses 1 through 3, the Lord says, But now thus saith the Lord that created thee, O Jacob, and he that formed thee, O Israel. We can make that application to us. He's created us. He's formed us. Fear not, for I have redeemed thee. I have called thee by thy name. Thou art mine. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. For I am the Lord thy God, the Holy One of Israel, thy Savior. He didn't say you won't go through the river or you won't go through the fire. But he said, when you do, I will be with thee. For I am the Lord thy God. You know, he has given us the promise in Hebrews 13. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So we boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man should do unto me. You know, we may suffer some defeats in this life, but we will never be overcome or overtaken. Again, because greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. And because he says again in verse 15, I will deliver him. He shall call upon me, and I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him. And so here's a second, I will deliver him. So in his time of trouble, in his time of affliction, in his time of distress, he said, I will deliver him. You know, David suffered many distresses and adversaries, but the Lord always delivered him. It appeared at times that he was going to lose his life. It came close to that. But the Lord always delivered him. See, that's a promise. The word deliver here means, it's translated deliver 15 times, and 14 times it's translated armed. Armed. Or it's also translated prepared. In other words, the idea here is, I'm going to deliver you in time of trouble because I have armed you. I have prepared you. See, God has given us, when we, are, when we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Christ, He gives us divine life, the life of God, and the Spirit of God to take up residence, and greater is He that is in us than He that is in the world. So what is there in the world that can overcome us? We've been armed. We've been prepared for the afflictions for the distresses, for the adversaries of life. You know, after Peter was appointed by the Lord Jesus as a pastor of the church of Jerusalem, you know what? He was armed. He didn't fear the Pharisees anymore. He would go out and stand and look them right in the eye and say, the one you have slain, God hath raised up the one you have slain. Can you imagine how you, the, his finger pointing in your eye and said, the one you killed. God's raised up and made him both Lord and Christ. Repent. 
Why? He was all of a sudden armed. He had been prepared for the adversary. You see, when, when we set our love upon the Lord, it is He that prepares us. It's He that arms us. It's He that strengthens us, enables us. In the Old Testament, in Exodus 13, when the children of Israel left Egypt, it says in Exodus 13, 17, it says, It came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, Lest peradventure the people repent when they see war and return to Egypt. In other words, you know, the shortest distance was to go through the land of the Philistines. Now, the Philistines were a military people. And God said, I'm not going to lead them through there because they're not yet prepared for war. They're not prepared yet. However, you come to Numbers 31, verse 3, and Moses spake unto the people, saying, Arm some of yourselves unto the war, and let them go against the Midianites and avenge the Lord of Midian. In Joshua 4, 13, It says about 40,000 prepared. It's the same word that's translated deliver here in verse 15. Prepared for war, pass over before the Lord unto the battle to the plains of Jericho. You see, these people now, the Lord had prepared them for battle. He had armed them. And that armor was more than just swords and spears. It was giving them a heart to obey and follow the simple Silly, if you will, commands of God and see God work on their behalf. Because the command was, you walk around this place once a day for six days, and then on the seventh day you walk around it seven times, and the seventh time around you shout real loud and you blow with the trumpets and the walls will fall down flat. Now that doesn't really sound like real military genius. But it was a command God gave. But see, they now have a heart that's prepared to obey the Lord no matter what it sounds like, whether it sounds unreasonable to them or not. They're, they have a heart. They have set their love upon Him and He has prepared them for this time. You see, He said, I will deliver Him. In other words, I will prepare Him. I will arm him in the time of trouble. And I will honor him. Verse 15 again. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. The word honor can be used in a good and bad sense. It's a descriptive word. In a bad way, it means to be heavy, to be weighted down, to be grievous or burdensome. But in this passage, it means to be rich, to be honored, to be glorious, to be favored. You see, to the unrepentant, the God's commandments are grievous and burdensome. The world looks at the commands of God and says, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to sacrifice for the Lord. They, They feel that they're weighty and heavy. We see, but those who trust in the Lord 
we are promoted to honor, to glory, to riches. Just as Joseph. You know, Joseph endured the hardness of a good soldier of Jesus Christ. He was willing to sacrifice. He was willing to be lied about. He suffered all that. But he still retained his devotion to the Lord. And what did God do? He gave him honor, riches, and abundance. God will always vindicate his own. It may take some time, but he will do it. And then he says also, I will satisfy him. Verse 16, with long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Psalm 17.15 says, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Psalm 22.26, The meat shall eat and be satisfied. They shall praise the Lord that seek him. Your heart shall live forever. And again, the, 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 a meek person is one who's, who's uh, submitted to, it's like a horse that has been broken and has their spirit yielded to its master. Now, that doesn't weaken the horse. That makes that horse useful. And that's the same idea here of a meek, meek person. It isn't that person's weak. Meekness is not meek weakness. Moses was anything but a weak man. But the Bible says he was meek above all men that was on the earth. In other words, he was submitted to God. He had surrendered his will to God, and he had been made, because of that, he was greatly used of God. And the Bible says here, the meek shall eat and be satisfied. They're going to receive the word of God. They're going to be satisfied. The Lord gives satisfaction. Psalm 37, 19, They shall not be ashamed in evil time. The days of famine, they shall be satisfied. To be satisfied means to be content. The idea of being full at rest or at ease. Matthew eleven twenty eight, Come unto me, all ye that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. So, again, we'd ask the question, why does God do this for us? Or whom does he do it for? And the answer again is in verse 14. Because he has set his love upon me. You see, if we set our love, our devotion upon God... If we love him with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind, which is the first commandment, the greatest commandment, of course, the second is like unto it, love your neighbor as yourself, which if you love God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, you're going to love your neighbor. It's made in the image of God. Love it. As human beings, our love is expressed by what we do for other people. Our love for God is expressed by what we do for others. It's manifest by what we do for others. And it says, because he has set his love upon me, I will. I will. These are the I wills of the almighty God. The breasted one. The one of strength. The one who can nourish. The one who can provide. 
the one who can protect. We need to trust in him. We need to love him. Even in the days like we're living, where there's distress in the world, distress amongst nations, the Bible says the hearts of many are going to wax cold. We need to set our love upon him, knowing that he is the eternal one. He changes not. And he will fulfill his word to us. Let's pray. Heavenly